Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week we're joined by Timo Vorlentula, who is a film director from Finland. Timo and I discuss a wide range of topics from the state of politics, his very sensitive film subject matter of Nazis, his use of crowdsourcing and the internet to help create his films, and Timo's ideology of what a great film director is, along with the importance of uniqueness and originality in your creative process. This episode is brought to you by Learn Squared. Learn Squared is an online art education platform that is founded and powered by industry-leading artists from around the world. The key feature to Learn Squared comes from our community and the ability to connect directly with those that you admire and learn applicable and usable knowledge by those that are leading the way in their particular professional field. If you're interested in sharpening a particular part of your creative ability or just simply curious to see how others work and problem solve, head over to learnsquared.com and begin your journey. Here we go, everyone. Episode 154 with Tim Borlenzola. Thank you for taking time. I know this has been, uh, uh, it's a little bit of uh, difficult because you have a very busy life. So do I. And finding the time to do these kind of things can mm-hmm. be uh, a bit of a challenge. So I appreciate it first and foremost. Thank you for sharing your time with us and being here. That's really appreciate it. Um, no problem. I'm here in uh, in a hotel in Brussels. I'm doing post-production, uh, part of the post-production here in Brussels. So what better thing to do than, than uh, do and talk with you here because there's <laughs> has to do in Brussels. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, um, I've been to Brussels uh, once very shortly. Um, I actually flew over there for like a, two days, I think. <laughs> then he came mm-hmm. back. No, um, it's, it's honestly a nice city, but when you're uh, actually doing post-production, the brain is really much on the post-production. So hotel, hotel stays are a little bit boring, but so it's nice to do this chat. Yeah, definitely. It looks like a very beautiful city, though, and the architecture and mm-hmm. stuff is really awesome. So it's it quite is. close. Isn't it's close geographically to Amsterdam? Correct. It is, yeah. And, and basically, from Brussels, you can, I think, I think, get quite easily anywhere. Uh, I'm from Finland, so whenever I go, Finland is also relatively close to anything. But because it's surrounded more or less by the sea and Russia on the other side, it's you always have to fly. So it's a little bit inconvenient. But from Brussels, I think you can take a you can take a, 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 a train to uh, to UK to London and, and basically train to everywhere. It's really nice. Oh, that's cool. That's one thing I, I did appreciate being in Europe is is the ability to just hop on like a a plane or a train and get very far quickly because I forget how big America is. America is actually quite large in comparison to parts of Europe, which um, certain countries, especially like Belgium, are quite small. Um, and, yeah, and it's, it's, it's like Rhode Island or something, or even smaller, probably. Um, I remember once when I was going to, uh, uh, I was going to Austin. There's this uh, film festival, South by Southwest. Oh yeah, <laughs> Texas and is the, huge. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. And and I booked a flight for whatever reason. I booked it to Houston because I thought that Houston and Austin, you know, they gotta be close to each other. Yeah. Then <laughs> yeah. I realized, no, that's for like 400 miles. And, <laughs> And on the map, it was like, yeah, they're close, but but I didn't realize that I should have actually booked it to Austin. Now nowadays, when I go to South by Southwest, I know better, but then it was a little bit interesting. Yeah, Texas is about the size of France, I think. When France yeah. is is pretty big, it's one of the largest, larger. Maybe like Ukraine, I guess, is pretty big as well, and obviously Russia. Exactly. But Finland's pretty large, but it's obviously very northern. So yeah, a nobody big portion of it is. 
Yeah, it looks, it looks big, but a big portion it looks, of it's unusable, I would imagine, or just hellish to live there, I would suppose, right? No, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, th- that and also like, yeah, like, <laughs> especially nowadays when, when uh, uh, agriculture is not, you know, the main thing that people do. So so everybody's packed to Helsinki, which is in the south and the other cities in the south, but nobody in their right mind actually wants to live. <laughs> north yeah. that's not true i mean there's also really really nice places up in north but uh, sure. but the population is more sparse yeah i've heard i've seen some really beautiful pictures and, and photographs mm-hmm. i have a couple of friends from there and it's very beautiful uh it's just like yeah it definitely shows the seasons <laughs> yeah it and, does and that's you, that's one thing which i would would miss if i have to had to move yeah from Finland, it would be the the seasons because uh, you still can get like a nasty winter, which is nice when it is in the in the most coldest coldest time of the year, or or a nice hot summer and all that, yeah, and, and everything in between. So that's mm. nice. That's interesting because uh, my my buddy Anthony, he lives up in Toronto, and he loves the cold and he loves what it does to him creatively. It like kind of turns him into a recluse, and he kind of just you know like I live in San Diego, the weather is always coaxing you to go outside or enjoy you know a physical activity you know or something of the sort and and if I, I i've lived in cold cultures as well and cold, cold places um not i don't think near where finland is but like vermont and and high parts of colorado um but yeah it does a different thing does it does that something like the weather does it affect your creativity and the way you flow and kind of just helping kind of coax that stuff out of you i think it does definitely because when when it is, you know, minus 30 outside and, and, and breezing wind, you really don't want to go and spend that much outside time. So when you're inside, you sort of have to figure something to, to put your energy into. And then that, that leads into going into sauna and coming up with ideas about Nazis on the moon and, and <laughs> whatever like has happened in our case. And, uh, uh, but I think it has a lot to do with the, uh, with with the fact that and and when the summer is then everybody is sort of trying to enjoy it because in Finland we we say that summer lasts for you know it's it's a great summer it lasts for four days and then it's over so <laughs> you, you want to really I uh, enjoy those moments so in that way winter I all personally I feel that winter is more creative time for me and summer is more like than sort of running around and. and enjoying life for a little while <laughs> distracting time i guess just yeah to, yeah because i grew up in hawaii and it's that's definitely a place you don't necessarily go there to work your ass off you go there to mm-hmm. enjoy the fruits of life and enjoy nature and stuff so yeah 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 um no that's awesome that's really cool i that's something i'm quite interested in too and just the seasons and how that affects uh, different creatives from the, around the world and, and how you interact with nature and stuff. And there's a, there's a show that I watch on Netflix um, called chef's table. Have you watched it before? Mm, no, I don't. I actually don't know about it. I think maybe I've seen a, a picture of it or something, but I, I don't know too much about it. And I'm not sure if you like kind of like cooking or food in general, but I, I think I do, yeah. any, any artist would relate to this show and it's actually really beautifully composed and really well done. It's features like uh, particular um, chefs from around the world and their culinary kind of, prowess and whatever they're interested in and and i think it's very universal that's what makes the show so special but it's about food but it's very universal the artist's like journey and then the step and the steps that these people go to to get to their their position i re- remember one of them being a 
uh, Finnish uh, chef, I think. And is that, is, that pro- is that proper? Is that the what, what you're considered Finnish? Is that what it is? Uh, fin- Finnish, yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, if you come from fin- Finland, then you're Finnish. You're, you're Finnish. We yeah, are Finnish. Cool. Finnish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, because yeah, in America, it's a little. No, no, it's not a problem. That's okay. a job I, I like to make because in. In in restaurants, they come and they take your plates away. That you finish? Yes, yeah. I'm from, <laughs> from Finland. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah but it's it a really funny. <laughs> but yeah, Finnish is what we call it. a Finn. Yeah, Finn. Okay. Yeah, it's a cool docu- It's a cool like um, show, and they had some guys from. I had a guy I think from Finland and his his mm-hmm. whole journey and and where his restaurant is and how he uses the nature around him and and just this mm-hmm. whole experience is it was really quite interesting. It's very different. And your geolog your geological um, position on the Earth it really defines who you are in a lot of ways, um, not as it much does. as it used to. Um, yeah, we're able to it get does. out of places faster and easier. But yeah, it's quite interesting. I think it does. It does. It molds where where you're from. It it molds obviously the way you think and and sort of observe the world around you. Uh, also, language is another thing which which has a tremendous effect on the way that you sort of think and see and experience the world and that's something that i uh, not not a lot of people re- realize but i think there's a certain correlation between uh certain language families and the people that are brought from those families and it's not necessarily even related to the uh, location but i think the language makes people think in different kind of ways and i think that's that's an interesting part of of language and finnish is known for its uh extremely complicated uh, vocabulary i think it's uh, like like finnish and japanese are considered to be the hardest languages in the world oh, really? uh, for for a foreigner to learn and and finnish is also a little bit of an odd bird because we really don't have a, another sort of uh, language uh, relatives outside of like hungarians and estonians and that's it basically and everybody else around us is completely different so that's also a reason for the isolation is that we really don't have for you know hundreds and hundreds of years we never had anybody really to communicate with because nobody understood us and we didn't understand anybody else so hmm. we've always been a little it's so interesting yeah i love this kind of stuff because it just gives a different perspective on things and um that's what i love about traveling and just learning new things about different people and their cultures because a lot of this comes from a lot of this spawns into art for me personally um, um we're going to get into that in a little bit about your your journey making films and stuff but a lot of this i was just curious if it was a geological thing as well and your effect on that especially like you know making films about like nazis and stuff i mean uh for us or for me personally and being an american and not having to deal with like the the wars with nazi germany but having that kind of that view from America and our culture on it. Um, it's obvious like it's, it's like, it's obviously very bad and it's very negative. And I've watched many documentaries and things about it. But, um, when I was in Berlin for a little bit and just the, um, just the culture there was really interesting. I felt like, uh, there was a still like a really strong shame in the citizens. You, You can't be like, yeah, Germany, you can't, you can't, you can't have national pride and, I just thought that was really quite interesting because I felt like that was what one one of the things that kind of sparked the second war was that kind of suppression of identity and I thought that was really interesting and um, psychologically yeah, I thought the, that was the really Germans have really had a uh, a hard time with uh, especially the current generation who had absolutely nothing to do with the with the 
uh, events of the uh, Second World War and and times before that, yeah. uh, they still have the stigma. They carry the stigma, and, and I think they will be carrying the stigma for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, nowadays they are starting to uh, be able to see it a little bit more from a wider perspective, and that that I think was one of the uh, uh, interesting things that I found out about Iron Sky, which is obviously a, uh, a comedy about Nazis, more or less, and and sort of takes a comedic approach to the uh, Nazis, not to the victims of Nazis and not to the horrors that the Nazis made, but yeah. the Nazis and the ideology of Nazis themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was really welcomed, really well in Germany, because they... Uh, especially the younger generation, they say that they, they've been watching the, the documentaries, of course, and they've seen all the, the uh, you know, they read all the books and they read, uh, been to the museums, they know all the, all, all the sort of the dark side of things. But part of the healing process is that at one point you're also able to ridicule the, uh, the, 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 the basic ideology and the, and, and the basic sort of construct of Nazism, which which led to this situation in order for you to uh, not to be just afraid of the Nazis and especially nowadays with the neo-Nazis and, and, and looking at the whole right-wing sort of thing uh, that's going on around the world, but also uh, very strongly in Europe. Luckily, not in France, for example, which was just uh, yesterday chose uh, uh, the, the less lesser <laughs> bad guy as a president, which is really nice. Uh, uh, nice change for a while, but <clears throat> all of this is this this sort of right wing uh, enthusiasm is is nowadays. I think it requires ability to laugh at uh, laugh at uh, right wing at the Nazis at the at, at the whole ideology that that bred that kind of people and that kind of ideology in order for us to be able to to make sure that that won't happen in the same same way again. I mean. Yeah. Humans are known for repeating their errors, for sure. But, but uh, at the same time, at the same time, I think uh, part of yeah, like I said, part of the healing process is that that you are also able to see the the comedic shades of the whole thing. It's a very, very, very touchy subject uh, matter to to get into, and I think for this kind of stuff, I mean, having grown up in in Europe and still still there, um, is that something that for you um was common knowledge or did you seek out a lot of information when you go out and making these things i mean it's very it's very touchy right there's people that have unfortunately dealt with the wrath of these wars in a very bad way and it's very sensitive and then to make light of that would probably feel very backhanded almost but at the same time like i get what you're saying because psychologically you kind of have to remove that power by dismissing it with comedy almost, which is a psychological okay. thing, which is very interesting, but that's a very thin line. You know, it's very controversial. It's a thin line. And, and I think uh, when I started to work with Iron Sky, it was really like like drawing the line and sort of then then dancing on the line, obviously, to, to go here and there and back and forth. But the idea was always to stay on the side of, of, of know exactly what you're making fun of, what is the ridiculous part of the Nazism and and it and 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 what, what's also the visual part of the Nazism because that's the other thing which was part of it. So <clears throat> making fun of the Nazis and the way they dress and the way they behave and sort of like the the, the their their way of uh, approaching science and approaching uh, history and and sort of their way of uh, of 
building that in uh, into part of the identity of of what is known to be the Nazi. That's funny, you know that that is that is ridiculous because well, that's what the Nazis did. They they saw everything somehow connected to Nazis or or to the enemies of the Nazis in, in, in a way like like they believe that they are the very center of the whole race of humankind and they believe that they are sort of the 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 the, the high point of human humankind so everything is somehow one way or another connected to them so that's I think always funny when there are people who put themselves in a pedestal and then they sort of trot around the pedestal and, and feel that they are very important when at, in, in fact, we're able to laugh at them. But then there's the line. The line on the other side of the line is like the Nazis did horrible things in Europe and, and obviously around the world, but especially in Europe uh, with with the, uh, with killing six million Jews, uh, among other uh, other people of different uh, different origins, uh, also creating uh, uh, creating and running a huge war which cost so many millions lives here and. And that's there's you know there's nothing fun about them. There's no reason to make fun of elements like uh, let's say a concentration camp. This I I couldn't be, be making fun of that. So it's yeah. just it's it's all about finding like what are the things that I find funny and then sort of working on them uh, to to expose the ridiculousness of the whole Nazi ideology, but not going into the, the uh, uh, sitting on the people of. Uh, who were the, the actual victims of the Nazis. But yeah, that's a given coming from Europe. I mean, Finland was uh, an interesting thing. I don't want to go into too much history, but just briefly, Finland was an, al- uh, uh, an ally with the Nazis and also in war with the Nazis during the Second World War. Was so, so we were basically, first we were uh, against the Nazis, and then at the one point uh, we uh, collaborated with them and then fought the uh, war against Russians, expecting them to be our help didn't turn out like that but that was what we believed and uh, so in that way Finland has sort of a how do I say like a schizophrenic approach to Nazis is is like we are at the same time victims of the Nazis but also we're ashamed to the fact that we also were at one point a little bit collaborating with them not not really collaborating in in the war effort but you know we we shook hands and we're thinking about doing something together but uh, so in that way, we always had some sort of a, a understanding of the both sides of, of the Nazis, like them as a uh, villain and also being a little bit part of them. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's very controversial. It's very um, touchy subject matter, you know, and very interesting. Having said, yeah, that, yeah. having said that, I also find out that, that it actually is is in a way, a less touchy subject when you actually go in, in, in around Europe and, and, and let's say I was just in Poland and, and I was talking about Iron Sky over there and obviously Poland was one of the one of the sort of hotbeds of all the horrors. Camps, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and sort of like the very icon of, of what what the horrors that the Nazis were able to do. But in, in a way, uh, being so close to the whole thing you sort of went through it, but I think whenever the the further you go from uh, further west you go from where Europe, let's say to America, the more touchier the topic becomes because I think the uh, the the Nazi topic was not really sort of approached from personal level in 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 so many 
North Americans that they, you know, your grandfather wasn't the Nazi or your grandfather wasn't fighting, killed, killed in the Second World War or something like that. So the touchiness sort of stays because it's not really gone through. And that, you know, the more east you go, the, the less people know about the whole thing. And that's also the other thing is if, if you go to China and whatever uh, or, or Japan, it's it's that the topic is is they're sort of like yeah there are the nazis were the good guys or the bad guys so you know they're not completely sure because the history is obviously focused on other things over there and, and the nazis were not but i think the fact that that we have been living among the people who either fought with the nazis or against the nazis you know we all have relatives or distant uh, you know grandfather of father of grandfathers who died in the war or were fighting in the war I think that also helps us, and we've sort of gone a little bit further with with that than than areas that are not so close to that. Yeah, and we're also in a world that doesn't have um, a massive um, moral just war that's happening, which is quite interesting. I mean, there are I, I shouldn't say that because there are many battles being fought across the world and with different intentions, and 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 that's a whole different topic we can go into, but. And I'm personally not the best with um, politics, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. I really don't like spending my time focusing on that stuff, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I find it to be noise, uh, lots of just noise and distractions. And I'd rather focus on like positivity and focusing on like making things better as best I can and myself and the yeah. world and people that I love around me. Um, but it's 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 definitely um, something of, of interest to be you know aware of. But yeah, I'm not. A, I probably shouldn't even discuss that stuff because it is so. I'm so loosely attached to it, and I just I I purposely don't ever watch news. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I do, I do vote, but it's just like even voting. I just feel like it's kind of pointless in some regards yeah. here in the states because it just feels completely rigged. And it's all you know, a corporation basically at this point. So it's quite sad. Um, but it is what it is, and it's interesting to yeah. see the political political setups of the, of the around the world and stuff too, which is interesting. But I think, I think it's now, and I think the more information is is spread around the world, the more sort of active people become politically. But at the same time, it's also uh, we are also in the in the very easily uh, taken to wrong path if we listen to sort of like only very one sided side yes. of the news. And I think that's one of the things that that has led to the whole whole sort of situation where i believe the world is right now going through the, the the part but like i said like like you said maybe politics is not the main point to talk about but i think i want to raise one thing which you mentioned over there which you said that that uh, about the wars and i think that's really interesting right now for the first time in the human history actually if we really look at look at human history and i was just reading a book about this called sapiens we are actually in a uh, in the time of lasting peace. This is the first time where uh, during the whole human history, we are not in, in between two wars or sort of waiting for a big war to happen. Yeah. Big war to happen would be very unlikely at this point. Even, even, you know, even if the newspapers sort of want to paint it out like that, you know, nuclear war, North Korea going to happen any day, China, whatever. But in reality, right now, for the first time, we are after the Second World War. That was the last sort of main war. And then after that, we've been in a situation where the war is uh, less likely than likely. And I think that's an accomplishment for humankind. Huge. It's due to the Internet and the information age. That's what it is, I think, think in my opinion. It has a lot to do with that. Uh, uh, It has a lot to do with, with a lot of international 
uh, ratifications, uh, United Nations, and, and and all of those. Breed. And and one thing which everybody says that it has a lot to do with nuclear weapons, unfortunately, because nuclear sure. weapons have created uh, a moment in history where we could have destroyed each other, and after that, sort of, we uh, realized that maybe that's not going to happen. But obviously, my film Ariska is is talking about what happens if that happens, and then when <laughs> things go wrong. But yeah, yeah, but maybe you- that's not politics because that that's another topic we could go on for. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very much so. I look at politics almost like the analogy of taking uh, water and oil and shaking it up. And what you get is you get all these, that's what wars do. They shake up that water and oil basically. And then slowly through time, everything separates. And I think that's the key problem is having, I think the key word here with all that stuff is empathy and understanding the angle from both ed- sides of things, understanding what it is to grow up underneath a house that celebrates Nazism or whatever, you know, and then also understanding the outside of that and a different pr- perspective as well. And, and understanding like these are just people with different views and perspectives with the same intentions or different intentions, but like s- similar perspectives. It's just a matter of shifting your angle of perspective, you know? So which I find to be quite interesting and very, very odd. But it, what I'm getting at here is because we're going to start talking about your films and stuff. But what, what, what I was curious about is this, this is like, you know, this is a wealth of, of look how much we could talk about this stuff. It's a wealth. It's yeah. like a, um, I mean, this is why it's so well studied and so well, you know, there's so many documentaries and there's so many things that are pulled out of this source um, and, and good or bad and love or hate it. That's kind of where it comes from. And we, maybe we can talk a little bit about like, you know, your thoughts on the neo-Nazi like situation currently in Europe, which I have no understanding of, but obviously you probably do Mm -hmm. working on and building your film iron sky in particular. Um, did you encounter any kind of odd or, um, um, kind of sketchy things? And, and, um, is that, did that kind of stuff get, uh, concern you or, because for me, I would be like, ah, that sucks. I don't really want to deal with having those kind of people in my life, you know. <laughs> right. um, and, and how much are you willing to risk it to make a film? And and what was that like for you? I think in the very beginning, when we did the first, we did the first teaser. You can actually look it on the YouTube. It's uh, I think it's under the if you look at the Moon Nazis Attack. That's the name of the teaser, and that was made in two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight. Uh, and I think that was not clearly underlining that this is a comedy so so we did it with the sort of finnish dark comedic sensibilities which can be very easily also sort of uh looked over and seen oh these guys are serious and obviously that's that's (laughs) that was never the intention but when we released that teaser uh, with all the sort of the big swastika fortress and and you know the the guy riding a motorcycle to the big swastika fortress in the on the dark side of the moon with the Nazis and all that, uh, we had uh, some people, some let's say like right wing uh, websites and right right wing uh, uh, you know ex- extreme right wing um, uh, forums and and places like that. They were like, oh look at this, there's a cool film coming. In addition, I mean, obviously most of the people understood that, yeah, we're going to make some fun out of Nazis over there, there, but there was also some people who were like, yeah, let's, this is, this is cool. And when the film came out, they're like, oh fuck, it's a comedy. I thought that they're actually going to talk about the, the real fact that the Nazis are coming back and all that. So <laughs> that kind of crazy people you get every now and then, sure. but there's a lot but of crazy people out there. There is, there's the internet is an amplification of, of all kind of, oh yeah. Uh, just turns it up and, yeah. and and obviously it's also a great great place to uh sort of uh have fun with uh, that energy you know, out. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but also it has the sort of negative side. But we did ex- experience a little bit of that. But already very early on, we took a very very clear line that you shouldn't, you know, dear Nazis, you should not be waiting for this movie because it's not going to be nice to you guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure. and, and at one point they understood it. But uh, outside of that, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it was the other thing which was really with the film industry was because uh, Nazis on the Moon is is like you said a touchy topic but also relatively crazy topic uh it's like um it, it sounds a little bit too crazy to make any sense and also us as a, as a finnish film industry we've never made you know a proper science fiction movie for international market so uh, the believability of that was uh, also in question and and i think the third thing was really the fact that we had a a, a first time director i had done like a film before iron sky but for international sort of like a, for a theatrical distribution nothing so i was really um uh, it, it took a while to convince people that A, we are sane, B, we can do this, and C, we know exactly what we're doing. And the, uh, that took actually, you know, six years of financing going to Cannes Film Festival and Berlin Film Festival and uh, America Film Festival in Los Angeles and just, you know, doing the meetings and, you know, convincing bit by bit that we know what we're doing and, uh, and, and you know, <laughs> we should get the financing. Yeah. It's a long it just, journey to do that. It, Six it, years. It took, Didn't your first film take a long time as well to, in production? My first film was that was seven years, but that was yeah. not fun. That was just uh, that was just crunching the CGI and you know <laughs> shooting whatever we were able to and reshooting and then re-reshooting and then you know fixing and and then you know because there was only you know five six of us who were actively doing that and sort of putting it. It's, it's called Star Trek. It's also available on the internet actually on YouTube for the whole feature film. It's a Star Trek. Yeah, parody. it's released for free. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah which I thought it's, was it's interesting free. as well because it was a crowdfunded thing, wasn't it? Your first film. It was uh, mostly crowdsourced. Crowdsourced. There was there was some crowdfunding involved, but mostly, I mean, we did more crowdfunding on Iron Sky, but with Star Trek, that was mostly crowdsourced. So we asked people to send in model, you know, Star Trek models, or uh, send in, uh, you know, help us out with music, or you know, come and act in the movie, and all. it was very collaboratively made on the internet. It's very interesting, right? Like using the internet as that kind of device to to reach people and talent and abilities. I mean, that's a, what's your thoughts on that? Cause I have my own and I've, and the internet's definitely a tool. What's your thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, you obviously went through it for seven years. Um, and we then did. also add another six to the second film. So this is yeah. a long so process pro- for you. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, for me, it's really hard to think to make a, uh, how to make film without using the internet community. Uh, collaboratively like like it would feel really lonely to be so being only you and the film you know the the production crew working on a film what i really like about it is like whenever whenever we're working on on something that that i always have have the feeling that i have thousands of people behind me so whenever i need whatever be it be it help or be it uh, you know assistance or, or some financing or whatever I can all, there's always that group of people to to turn over and say okay guys now this is what i need to to get it done um and that that really i think it makes a makes a big difference with the with the audience and, and so we've been doing ever since we started to do star Trek in, uh, in 1998 we've been trying to find ways to involve the community so with our uh, star Trek, obviously they did a lot of a lot of work over the 
uh, internet and on the, on uh, I, first IRS guy they did quite a lot of work on the internet they financed us also uh, on the internet the number two we actually uh, had them very specifically join the production so we invited them to first when we had the first draft of the script we sent it out to you know I think 1500 fans we said read it and be nasty comment it you know kill it you know, be, be as nasty as you can. We want to avoid making any mistakes and we want to, we want to make it into a good movie. Just be, be honest with the comments. So we got huge load of comments from the community. We were able to better the script. Obviously it was always coming from a writer, but we were able to get those ideas in and sort of fix things that, you know, holes and loopholes and whatnot and that made the script stronger and then when we actually shot the movie we invited the fans okay we're going to need hundreds of people for different kind of uh, uh, different kind of mass sequences so we need a lot of extras and we need people to you know uh, moon based citizens we need people to play soldiers to be people to play like uh, all kind of creatures and uh, then we flew uh, you know they, they came over to uh, to um, Belgium where we were shooting the movie and uh uh, and we had extremely fun shooting time with all the fans involved. And later on, we also been organizing these secret fan screenings of a unfinished movie and showing it to people, asking, "What do you think?" You know, comments, getting feedback, and then then being able to better the better the movie like that. And and in that way, just uh, involving the community makes it makes it stronger. And then then whenever we need their help in, in promotion or whatever they are always there that's really important it's really interesting because uh, in in my perspective i always fear the design by committee when i watch a film i love to just feel that director's singular vision and, and mm-hmm. voice it's like that's the one thing i cherish about a good film absolutely let's say like, and that's what i always you know, say about comes to uh, a community a sort of crowdfunding is that it has nothing to do with democracy mm-hmm. it is the further things from democracy it's a dictatorship and I'm the dictator but in a way if you look at any film it's never the director never does anything the director just sits down and, and takes input from all the people and then molds that input and puts it out in front of the camera or behind the camera. Some directors that, do. Some directors definitely do a lot more than others. But yeah, for the most part, the main but, role but is to, they, to have that voice. Don't, you know, you don't you don't shoot the movie. I mean, unless Shane you're Carruth does, you know, and he's a. No, there are people who do, but let's say that in general, director just watches over the production process, sure. comments, guides it, directs it to a certain a certain direction. These people. Uh, these people uh, who are collaborating with them, in a way, it doesn't matter where they come from. I mean, uh, for certain for certain things, uh, the the main fact is that director needs a lot of people to realize the vision. Unless you're sort of an auto director who is doing uh, everything by himself, but that's very very rare, especially nowadays. I mean, no. Nowadays, it's very rare to see a, a single-handed director who does everything by himself. So, in that way, the what's community, your thoughts on those kind of directors? What, what, is, what, what do you, you think know, I, of those? I don't really, if you really think about the directors who really do everything by themselves, who who would those be? Like, uh, I think like uh, like like a director who writes, edits, uh, shoots, Acts. or. Uh, even acts. That's Shane Carruth. Uh, I, for certain, somebody that just comes to mind instantly would be Shane Carruth. 
Yeah, um, maybe Sean Carruth is, is is one of those people, and then there are then there, and and I think it has. I mean, it obviously has. If, if there there is a person who has all that skill set, it's it's really nice. But at the same time, it's quite rare that uh, that you have the full skill set of the film production. Sure, but the more it's many different hats. Yeah, the more you understand different parts of a film production, I think the better director you are, because then you're able to communicate your needs to those departments. Yeah. But really be head of all those departments i think it's a uh, it's uh, it's very easily going to cost you in all of the departments so in that way choosing the department you want to be head of be it the director or at the same time be it some other uh, department visual effects supervisor or 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 camera department you know director of photography the more you're able to focus your uh, creativity on specifically on that part so i believe that, that that's something but but coming back to the community uh and and involvement of the community uh, as long as it is not the democracy or democratic process as long as it's not that uh, that the community can be extremely helpful how do you balance moment, that because that's really difficult right to tell people well, no or hey this is mine but then that's what that's what directors do that's that's sure. our job is is i mean if we set in a film set there's a hundred people coming with a hundred suggestions every day and you just have to say no 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 yes no no just have to be very sort of clear-minded what what is your vision and i think working with the community in a way the vision is uh, even more strong, stronger because there's a people who come uh, all the time with all kind of suggestions and you have to be aware like if this fits into your general picture or if it doesn't and and most likely and in most cases it doesn't it may bring some other thoughts to you which is really helpful so you may not be thinking about you're asking okay i need somebody to help me with this and then there comes a lot of input which feels like this is not right but there's somebody who does something which is interesting and you take that what about if we elevate on this and then you say okay i like this idea let's work on that so but i think it's it's just it's just you have to be very clear on what you want what you don't want and i think that's that's one of the things that uh, one of the the main jobs of a director is to to be able to uh, keep the vision or the idea of the film that you have very clear in your head all through the whole production process because all through the whole production process there is a lot of people who have been hired to work with you but everyone has their own view and understanding of what kind of thing you're doing and they will be especially you know the the, the there are personalities who will be pushing a lot of things to you believing that they are right mm-hmm. and you have to be aware and able to tell that no this doesn't fit in, into this world because when you really look at the when, when things go commune uh, sort of communal when they go uh, communal either from a production side so that you know let's say that the producers have uh, too much creative input on on director that and, and that usually yeah. happens a lot that that very rarely leads into anything very good because then the director is sort of moved away and the producers are sort of fighting over their personal sort of what I want this and this and this and the director is there. Okay, I can do everything. And then basically nothing gets done. And unfortunately you can see that in a movies. And I think the bigger the movie, the more you see that because obviously then there's more at stake with, with, with the people with the money and they get more nervous and then they get more involved. And then when they get more involved, the, the quality of the content can easily be disrupted. I'm saying that, that producers themselves are, 
I mean, producers can go many ways. And, and I think there are fantastic producers who really understand uh, uh, filmmaking. But there's also a lot of people who are sort of producers, but usually you know, people with a lot of money who come in and, and they really don't know what and how films are made. And then that, that, that's when usually the main problems are being brought, yeah, brought up. A lot of but egos, same, too. Yeah. But it, yeah, and you know, at the same time, it's really weird how uh, you also have to accommodate that because the money is coming from somewhere. So, so you have to find a, a balance there. You can't just go and say no to everybody. <laughs> you have to be sort of sitting Unless down. Unless you're okay, willing to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And finance it yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. there's somebody who comes with a million, then you're like, okay. Why, why do you give me this one million? And then say, here are suggestions. And then you take in those suggestions and uh, it may even end up into being like waiting in, like, okay, there are 10 bad suggestions, but let's pick the one that is the least bad and let's mm-hmm. take that, sort of accept that and, and, and say that there was one great idea among all of this and I'd like to do that. And then, you know, you get your financing or whatever. That's obviously a rough example. But that's something that you have to just balance between. I'm pretty lucky with the fact that I have my, my main producer, Dero Kakuma, is really, a, uh, we created a really nice uh, sort of trust, uh, trusting relationship with the with the production. So, so he... 100% trusts that I uh, on me and my sort of decisions content-wise, and I trust his decisions when it comes to the production, uh, 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 the production and the marketing side. So that that's sort of a, in a way a perfect combination of, of a director and producer. But that doesn't always happen. Sure. In your words, what is the the role of a director? What what is that? Um, well, I. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, sort of the old cliches is you're a captain of the ship or, or the, uh, and, and, and all that. I think depends a little bit on what kind of uh, work you're working, but, but let's say that a director is the one who brings the energy to the, to the set or not just set, but the whole production brings the energy there. So this energy is, uh, basically used in two ways. So let's say that any professional person who is proud of their skills will use 100 120% to produce uh, the, the the results of their work. Let's say a visual effects uh, supervisor or a visual effects artist is doing 100 120% of their work if they're working on a on a you know decent company a decent uh, entity on that one. But uh, director's job is to energize the people even more so that they come together and together they will be producing even more because we all know that but when you're doing yourself you're only able to do 100% but when you're doing with a bigger group combining all of those efforts into one and sort of finding one focus point you will get more energy and more sort of uh, uh, even more out of all of these people and uh, the idea is as a, as a director so so you you bring this energy they call it vision, but I don't like the word vision because it's it's also been misused so much. Sure. So basically, you bring in the energy to all the department, and and they will produce uh, amazing and sort of focused content because of a director. So so in that way, your 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 job is you're, you're sort of the battery of the production in a way, in addition for bringing it all together. And and um, I think that's that's how directors. 
director's work. You know, you never know. It's all different, though. <laughs> Everybody, you know, every time I research a new director or something, it seems like it's just as different as people's personalities are and their approach to things yeah. or how relentless they are or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. When I first started thinking about the idea of wanting to direct and most of it came and I'm going to well, curious about where this all came from you, but most of it was just wanting to have control over telling the stories that I wanted to tell. Well, where did it all come for you? Was, yeah. is that the same kind of thing? And was there a particular film from your childhood that you can remember just having that aha moment? Like, this is what I want to do with my life. Uh, yeah, there was, I mean, uh, I watched, uh, funnily enough, uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, which was the, uh, the the movie made out of Twin Peaks TV series, if you remember that. And yeah, I think that was, the, that was the starting point of my, my film career. I really uh, fell 100% in love with that specific film. And obviously later, later on with all the work of David Lynch and, and a lot of other contemporary film directors, but I don't maybe Lynch has been the the sort of focal point of that uh, because in a way he showed that 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 you can do anything with film that there is no limitations and and although i've never used any of the uh, techniques or uh, uh, ways that that lynch does his film and i i strongly suggest <laughs> especially directors who are starting not to actually sort of imitate lynch because it's been it's the sort of the most cliche of of all film school people is just yeah i want to do my own lynch kind of thing it's like no do your own thing instead there's only one lynch but <laughs> then yeah i i had uh but but i think it just gave me strength like like you can do a film like this. So if I take that ideology into the Finnish film industry, which was used to do, you know, small dramas about, you know, families and, uh, you know, breakups and whatnot, and then coming there with an idea, I want to do a big science fiction action movie here, which was completely un- unheard of in Finnish, Finnish film industry at that point. It was really a, it must've been a, uh, it, it was, it, it required me to have something like, David Lynch work to show that, yeah, you can also do something completely unexpected and different uh, in that context. So for me, it really was that that part. And then, then what I really wanted to do with the, as a director, when I became, I, I felt like I have to, uh, it's not necessarily to be in control of the stories that I want to tell, but just, just realizing that there's a lot of untold stories in the world and, and getting those out there was was one of the things and the other thing was really the the fact that you're able to bring in a couple of my my favorite things which is which is uh, graphics visual visual things and music and uh, uh, bring them together in in the form in this form which was something that i sort of did both things i did graphics and i did music and i did all this but i was not very good at either any of them but being able to be the director, able to find the best people to do that and then sort of get their inputs and then use it in your own work and put it on the screen. And that was really inspiring for me. Hmm. I love that you're inspired by David, but you don't use his films as like a direct um, inspiration, which I think is is a really great way to be inspired by things. Cause oftentimes I'll study a director, say Fincher or Kubrick, you know, like those touchstone or even Spielberg or something. I'll watch their films and I'll really like understand, I'll try to really dissect like, what are they saying here and how are they saying it to me? And then it kind of sticks with me and I go, oh, I never thought of that. And then I remove my own authenticity because I'm paying so close, so close att- attention to them. 
um, which I think is very, it's, it's very difficult to say like, you know, I'm going to go off and have my own authentic voice, which is, you know, that's great. Um, but it's, it's, it's a risky endeavor, I think, which is, which is good. And I think that's really where things need to be. People need to be able to take the risk. And I think the big part of the risk comes from the enormity of these projects and how vast and huge they become. You mentioned seven, six years. Um, I've, I've, I mean, when I worked on Ender's game, uh, the director for that, he was, he had been trying to work on getting Ender's game to become a reality for 10 years. And I remember, him, you know, the on the upward battle, you know, and even in production, he was just battling every step of the way. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I really, if I care that much, you know, and if you don't, if you don't, I, I heard this once in a, in a really interesting, um, interview with, uh, I forget his name. He was one of the main characters in uh, Nocturnal Animals. This is a recent film I really enjoyed. He was saying mm-hmm. that he won't work on a film with a director if the director doesn't tell him that like he can't live without making this film. Like he must make this film, yeah. and that's the, his purpose, you know. And he said that he's never had a good experience with directors that just don't have that kind of like I must, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought that was kind of interesting, you know. So I think it is, and I think it's a hundred percent sure because. A film is going to take all of your energy for the next, be it two, three years, uh, or be it seven, six, or eight years. It's going to take all of your time, sort of 360 degrees of your life. And that's like, if you're not 100% in that, then in a way you're sort of, <laughs> you're wasting that time and everybody else's time in that. So in that way, I think it's a... Uh, the, the issue and the problem with that being a good director is that you have to find a passion project and you have to find the passion. And, and I know a lot of directors who sort of who work as a sort of hired guns yeah, and, they be really, and, and they can be really, really good directors. Yeah. But my sort of, my question always to them is like, where do you find where do you find the motivation? Because, you know, the money cannot be the motivation for sure. Where, where do you find the real sort of enthusiasm on a stuff that is completely brought outside from to you and, and sort of, and you just have, you, you necessarily don't even have a lot to say to the script. Like, how do you, how do you go from there? And, but, yeah. but there are people who work so, so many different ways and, and are, are sort of, inspired and, and sparked by different things in, in the process of filmmaking. And, and I'm happy that, that, that it happens. But for me, it, it really is, uh, it's always a, a, a challenge to, uh, to, to make sure that, that this, what I'm doing now is, is something that I'm willing to sort of die for, or at least be badly injured for. <laughs> well, I think the key here is the passion and really um, kind of having a bit of a blind ignorance to the passion and just letting it kind of fuel you through the thick and thin. And I think that's kind of a key to getting these bigger projects done and amassing the internet and outsourcing all these kind of things, I think is, is it takes tremendous effort and, and all that stuff. What's your thoughts on the state of the current film industry uh, worldwide? What's your thoughts on that? And then also I'd like to talk to you about your thoughts on the future of film and where film is going to live. I mean, obviously media has changed and transformed and there's things are even evolving even beyond that. So I'm just curious on your thoughts and where that's all going. So first is the state of the film industry and in the worldwide industry. And then the next is uh, your thoughts on the future of film. I think uh, right now the status of world uh, film industry is that it's obviously it's eastward bounding or how do I say, bending eastwards. I think American film is right now going through a, a, a big problem 
which is that it it is it's lacking its new renaissance. It's right now uh, it's, it's lacking a lot. It's repeating itself a lot. It's it's lacking the uh, the di- sort of the brave directors and the brave brave producers who say you know we've done this let's do something completely different or some you know let's 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 risk the money and and try to uh, make something that that. 100 we, we are not 100% sure that will work but it I mean there's still fantastic movies coming from America but I think the problem is that that the, that that more and more of those movies and even the directors of very interesting movies are sort of being sucked into part of repeating uh, Hollywood film industry which is I think at this point a little bit alarming I I know that Hollywood has always done it it had always become big and then it somebody came up with something completely different and then it again sort of was very interesting and very um, experimental and bit by bit it became the norm and then it became big again and then something new had to be found but I think we're right now in the verge of something new to be found we just haven't found that yet and at the same time I think China is really interesting because Chinese film industry is also uh, it's bringing new stories and I think that's very interesting and important like two things bringing new stars and new stories uh, to the big screen because most of the well, sort of Western stories are based on Western, let's say, mythologies or Western way of uh, traditional storytelling or Western, uh, Western even values, and obviously Western stars. And there's only a handful of really sort of like big stars out there uh, that uh, that sort of carry a movie, and and everybody's fighting for those stars. So the the other side of the the question is, uh, I think China, which is bringing new set of different stars, a new set of uh, different uh, stories and maybe a little bit of different values also there and not, you know, I'm not saying good or bad, but different, different is always different. Sure. And, uh, That's a keyword there, yeah. So people don't get it's a keyword. Yeah, don't get pissed yeah. if he has his opinion, people. Everybody has them, so yeah. <laughs> and that's that's how uh, I, I believe that it's really interesting to have a uh, I think I think it's really nice that that China is now balancing that a little bit, and I hope we still are really missing those sort of big Chinese international hits, which are sort of the. Uh, I mean, of course, there's been Chinese international hits forever, but the ones that sort of hit also big time in in United States and sort of the uh, big audience in United States approves those movies mm-hmm. and those and sort of that exchange is still about to happen. That, but that will happen in now. I'm saying. In, uh, in in few years' time, if things go this direction, so in that way, I think we're really now in an interesting pivotal point in the film industry. I think uh, Hollywood film industry has become too big to sustain itself in a creatively interesting level. So something interesting new needs to be found, and I think it will be found. Yeah, and at the same time, China is balancing. Yeah, and, and China is balancing that with their their industry and bringing something interesting to the world from there as well. Right now, I think the biggest sufferer of film industry is Europe. European film industry is right now not in a very interesting position. I say, I, I think, I think it's very few, very interesting movies coming from Europe at this point, and uh, and that's that's a little bit concerning for me. The, for a moment, there was a moment where I thought that. 
maybe genre films could be sort of redeeming the European uh, film. There was a lot of interesting films. I mean, obviously, Iron Sky was one of those, but Dead Snow, Troll Hunter, there was uh, also the, the Spanish were making great horror movies. But I didn't really see that this sort of, this trend is continuing. But I think those directors were sort of sucked in by Hollywood and now they're doing yeah. their, their in, in Hollywood or, or, or in China or wherever. But Europe is again sort of <laughs> left like, oh, well, we got nothing right now. Sure. So that's a little bit of a shame, but I guess that's, that's how the world goes. So I'm hoping that European film also goes through Renaissance at one point because it has been an important part in the whole history of film. But right now I don't see that that's happening. Well, the business of films isn't for not every, for most people is not a very profitable business unless you can figure it out yourself. And it takes many years and lots of hard lessons and often bankrupts people. And most people are afraid of that. And unfortunately that's a part of, unfortunately, and fortunately it's a part of the equation that you must um, address if you are curious and being a part of this. And it's a very important part of that whole process. And it's, it's part of what makes films work well and what makes films really bad too, which is, you know, all that kind of like, you know, a lot of the reasons why a lot of these things go to the wayside in Hollywood films, in my opinion, is because of the, the money part of it getting in the way and everybody's opinion feeling needed to feel validated, as you mentioned earlier. But um, yeah, that's interesting. I've been seeing some really great films from Korean directors, which I think is really cool mm-hmm. because they provide a completely different lens, which is really interesting. Um, it's just a different kind of formation. But there's 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 also some really great films. There was some really great genre films coming out in the States, you know, when the Coen brothers were making No Country for Old Men, a perfect example mm-hmm. of a modern day classic, in my opinion, or or even if we look at, say, um, There Will Be Blood. I mean, another, another really great um, film as well from the States, too. But there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things going on. I think the key is, is that people are just continually being inspired and, and changing, exchanging thoughts and ideas and wanting to tell their stories and wanting their stories to then be seen um, your thoughts on the future of the film industry. Cause the film industry itself, and then also just kind of the medium, you know, considering AR VR, um, the oh. internet free open source, you know, Radiohead style, like giving things away, letting people pick their price um, using the internet as a tool. What are your thoughts? Cause you're definitely in a different realm um, with all this stuff. So what oh, are yeah. your thoughts on it? That's, that's a good point. One thing I want to mention about American filmmakers, there is a lot of interesting filmmakers uh, sort of bubbling under two guys I want to mention, Justin Benson and Arne Moorhead, who did this, uh, the, the latest film Endless is right now playing in f- uh, festivals. And I, and I'm just amazed by these two guys. I think they, they, uh, if, if things are turning right, they, they could be bringing something really interesting to the American film, <clears throat> genre film. Who are uh, the directors again? Just, uh, Justin Benson and Arne Moorhead. You can uh, find them on the internet. Fantastic guys. Um, but yeah, uh, coming back to uh, uh, the future of film industry, I think, think, like you mentioned, the question is really right now, like, there's like, the, the question or the, or the challenge of uh, film industry is obviously the fact, which is stated often, but still is true, that nowadays there are many more uh mediums or medias that are stealing the attention of the viewer away so the idea of somebody coming coming to a movie theater sitting without watching your cell phone for 
one hour, 45 minutes, up to two hours, starts to be harder and harder concept for the youth of today. And that I think is is one of the challenges. So we have to, the films need to be fighting against games. They need to be fighting against constantly bleeping and updating uh, content on your cell phone. And at the same time, uh, on on, on sort of more um, more, uh, embracing uh, side, there is the challenges like like i was i was watching a virtual reality uh i've been to a couple of things i was at crytek who are doing the uh it's a polish uh, game company right yeah uh where is that a polish i think it's german but is it german maybe. uh germany okay I was in, at least I was in their base in Frankfurt, so that was a German. So I'm not actually sure what's the origin of that company, but uh, however, Crytek they they are working on on VR right now, quite experimental stuff and interesting stuff. And and I was there, and I I got their sort of presentation with the with the headset and everything. And after that, I was like, how can you compete with a normal film against that? <laughs> like how how can you compete with the normal life against the stuff that you get? with a high-end virtual reality. Of course you can at this point, but you know, where are we going? Like how, how far does it go until there is a way that there is, you can add other uh, stimuli to the, to the experience and how can you then, how, what can you then do? Like as a, as a 2D, you know, two-dimensional filmmaker or storyteller, what is there that you can do to compete against that, that kind of medium? And I think, I think, at the same time, it can also be a gimmick that people are sort of enjoying right now because now if you go to Cannes Film Festival or Berlin or wherever, AFM, everybody has their own virtual reality booths and everybody's talking, you know, your ears are ringing from the virtual reality, this virtual reality, that. But to actually see a really good story told in virtual reality or a really good experience that is easily multipliable by, you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world, we're still a little few, few steps away from that. So in that way, remains to be seen. The 3D was another sort of a gimmick that that sort of brought up there. But to really, uh, uh, that will it actually really expand the story itself, the characters and the and the and the, and the real heart of a movie? I don't know. I I, I think. It, Again, it comes back to directors. You have to f- have a director with a vision on how to use that special medium. Yeah. You know order to make it into an experience that is actually, in addition for being like 360 and, and completely immersive, to be something good. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, that I think have, is a bigger challenge. Yeah, because there's plenty of you know content creators just going like, yeah, let's quickly just make a video game in here. Sure, yeah, that's a knee-jerk reaction. But what yeah. what does that device do that's different from other devices that will allow us to make a, a heightened experience as a human being? Why... Would you want to tell a story using this mm-hmm. medium? What's the difference? And I think a lot of times people mm-hmm. are just like, oh, it's like a camera that's 360. It's like, no, that's not what, what no. it is necessarily. It's yeah. actually a fully immersive experience. So what yeah. story it's, do you tell like that? And for me, those exactly. are always like a choose your own adventure story or a more immersive involving story, which is like kind of a lived in experience, you know, which is an mm-hmm. evolved version of these like second lives almost, you know, to get not to get too weird, <laughs> but you know, so um, your thoughts on like television and, 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 and shows and things mm-hmm. like Netflix and, and, and YouTube and um, Hulu and all these different, um, you know, media outcroppings that are populating the media now and actually, supporting a lot of new original content what are your thoughts on that uh yeah i mean new and original definitely uh i think my, my always my problem with with the tv series is that that 
compare it to a movie, you know, well done movie per, versus well done TV series is, is I, I still always go for the movie because in the movie you're able to sort of the, the, the artistic uh, uh, integrity of the, the director and the, and the visual, not just the visual, but, but the whole integrity of the, of the artist is, it's more like a poem, like, like it, it's, it's a fully, uh, artistic, whatever it is, like, like entity, uh, in TV series, you always, you see, like you get, you get better characters, you get even better stories, you get more sort of more out of a story and it's more immersive. You enjoy following it, but on the sort of the end of, because of course the, the resources are more limited over there. So you sometimes feel the resources being limited and you're like, I wish they could have told this in the way that a movie would have told. And you, I wish, you know, a game of Thrones gets closest to that, but even they are sort of, uh, you can, you can always say, okay, now this is the end of your budget and now you're going to cut. And that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. But it's actually astonishing the amount of quality that it is say game it, of it, thrones it, actually because i'm actually just finished listening to the first book and i'm just like in shock and awe how well adapted that first season is i'm i just can't absolutely. believe it it's in, it's incredible because you know just as well as anybody that it it to do that is is almost like a magic trick to pull that off mm-hmm. at that level it's like how how'd they do that they had just yeah. the, all the right people with all the right passion all aligned and made it happen. It's just like, wow, like incredible. It's to adapt a book that well and that loyally. I was just really, um, the casting's incredible. The acting is so well done. The, the setup, the wardrobe, the, the tonality, the, the setting and just everything. It's just, wow. Like it's, it's for me, I was just really taken aback. I'm on book two would- now it's deviating here and there, but I'm, I don't care. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. I really enjoy their journey either, either way, yeah. but yeah. And it does go a little bit on its own track from the, uh, I mean, the movies go, to, um, the, let's say again, the movies go to their own tracks, obviously, from the, the book is the ultimate for, uh, form of that. But yeah. um, I, I guess so. I mean, that's, I think that's another topic of an interesting discussion, which one is the, the ultimate form, the book 2001 or the movie 2001. But that's a different th- topic. But yeah, I think, I think uh, with TV, the, uh, I mean, the only thing that that is sort of different in a TV is that is is less director driven. And and again, I've been yapping about this as as a director. Of course, I I you know I defend that the director has uh, sort of an important role uh, in in the storytelling part, and I believe in that obviously because otherwise I'd be <laughs> out of work very very quickly. Sure. But uh, but it's it, TV is more um, driven by uh, script, uh, uh, script supervisor, not supervisor, what's, what's the word? Like a, treatment? the head, which one? A script treatment or like a source or like a, uh, no, no, well, about, um, what's the word? Um, showrunner. Yeah. No, sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah. it's more showrunner driven, uh, 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 medium than, uh, director driven medium. So the showrunner runs everything. Directors come and go unless you're doing like, uh, like the first season of, um, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting names right now. The first season of, of the, uh, of true detective that was, uh, mm, yeah. director and you could see it right away. Like, feel, oh, yeah, this is a full, uh, full 
vision of one director yeah. from the beginning to the end. So it felt like a long movie. That's exactly uh, what I love. That's why I love that, that kind of was, stuff because you're really feeling that lens, whether you like it or not. That's the moment that you really experience that director's yeah. vision. And that's to me is the individuality, which makes that director stand out amongst like a gun for hire director, which is just kind of yeah. listening to the committee and saying, yes, ma'am, no ma'am kind of things, you mm -hmm. know? So um, which is and I think, stuff. I think the other thing is like, if you look at Game of Thrones and, and I totally agree with you, it's fantastically done. But I think one of the problems is that every episode is done, not every, but many episodes are done by different directors. So mm -hmm. you have, you see that, okay, here they put in this director who did the action, action episodes. And then he does like a big action episode. And then there's uh, uh, this other director who did this and this and this kind of episodes. And you can sort of, uh, the director takes the story or, or the, the world into a little bit different directions. So when you look at the whole thing, you don't feel it as as unified experience as true detective. Yeah. First for, for sure. I mean, I think that yeah, I haven't seen a lot to ask of one director to put that much to make that much content is pretty. It's, it's quite a lot. And, yeah, and it would take way too long. That's it the would problem. take a long time. Just like as people are complaining about J.R.R. Martin and how long it's taking him to create the content for the books. But if, yeah. you, if you've read these books, you, you really have to have a, an utmost respect for that man's mind and how he's created this vast world with these believable characters that you really passionately love, care for, or hate. You know, it's like, mm. it's very black and white in this world for me. It's, it's just like, whoa, man, like I really hate that character yeah. or that character yeah. is really significant. And there's some people that are in the gray zone, which is great, but it's just a tremendous effort. It's really, I'm blown away by the patina and just the ma the magical madness of this world. It's just really great. Mm -hmm. it's, it's such an, a, a special um, look at kind of fantasy, but it's a very unique approach to it. Which I, thought, I thought it was pretty cool too. Cause we're so used to like, for me personally, it's like the Hobbit, you know, and the Lord of the Rings and not to take anything away from Tolkien, but it's very um, kid centric almost, you know, whereas this um, Game of Thrones is very yeah kind of raw and real feeling and very well sure. I mean, yeah. Tolkien is is definitely Tolkien is and and specifically never wanted to even do like like hardcore no yeah it wasn't his style yeah it wasn't I mean he wanted to tell the you know accessible stuff. I mean Hobbit is and I think one of the biggest problem with the Hobbit movies is that Hobbit Hobbit the book is actually uh, it, it's a it's a fairy tale book written originally to his kids you know like yeah. like an that that's that's the basic of the whole the whole idea and then sort of Steve, uh, peter jackson took that book and made it into an epic uh lord of the rings number two kind of thing which which it is not i mean lord of the rings works as it is because it is an epic story it's not very raw but you know it still has rough moments and it's it has a lot of adult content but hobbit doesn't so sort of pumping that adult content out of that. I think that's uh, that. That's the reason the Hobbit movies were not as as good. I mean, they were successful, but I think that they were not as good as the Lord of the Rings. One thing which I want to bring over here also is that, that I do, talking about European movie, I do hope that because of Game of Thrones, because the success of Game of Thrones, uh, somebody, and I think that has already happened, picked up the original Witcher books, which they made this fantastic game game series, Witcher. Yeah, uh, I've heard about that. And, okay. and start to do uh, a TV series with the same quality as as Game of Thrones, because I think there are the stories, there are the uh, uh, 
it's it's I think even more sort of graphical than than Game of Thrones, and that you know there are fantastic characters there, and uh, and it could turn into a beautiful beautiful series, and that would be a very sort of European thing. It's a Polish book originally, so yeah, and it's also I think the game company is Polish as well. And the only the reason I know this yeah. stuff is because my close friend and business partner he's from Poland, so he tells me all these things. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, the last question I wanted to to bring up is something I usually like to leave on with these um, these interviews is for the listener. Um, a lot of times, the people who are listening to this are aspiring artists, people that are throwing themselves out there. They're dealing with their own adversities, their own situations, and stuff. And you've obviously faced many of them because working on a production for a film for seven years or six years, or both of them combined, many years. Um, it's it's a long haul. Um, one thing I would love to hear from you is perspective for people that might be wanting to do the same kind of thing or pursue their own art or may not be film. It's just something in their own creative voice and wanting to do their own thing. What thing can you kind of what piece of advice could you give them that you think might help them the most? I think uh, the most important thing which I learned and have been learning ever since uh, every time is that actually nobody else is going to do this stuff for you but yourself even at even if you are a little bit further in your career nobody's going to come to you and say here is the money here's the script go do whatever you want that doesn't work it never works like that every battle you have to fight for yourself and every victory you have to achieve by yourself so uh, so in that way uh, there, and i know there's a lot of people who sort of expect that things start to happen as soon as they sort of prove themselves no it doesn't go like that you have to work for everything uh in order for it to happen and 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 that's good thing because then everything you work for becomes your thing it it becomes it's not something that is coming from outside and sort of suddenly generating you into a, a mega director or whatever it's the stuff that you did by yourself. So you have invested everything you have, you know, uh, mentally and probably even financially in that. And, and then, then that's the best way to learn and become better. And, uh, and, and that's the best way to learn, uh, get the respect of the industry because the industry has a lot of people who are, uh, there's a lot of people with a lot of talk in the industry. There's a lot of projects that will never happen. There's a lot of great ideas that are sort of transcending into a movie one day, just when all these things are right. And unfortunately, a huge percentage of those projects never happen. Yeah. So the respect of the industry gets from things that are finished, not from the things that are on the table or are being dreamed of because everybody has dreams. Everybody has ideas, but only very few have finished things. So working hard on those ideas and dreams and making sure no matter what that they get finished. I think that's the the best advice I could give. Beautiful. I love it. And if anybody yeah, I mean, if anybody can say that as you, because you've won through the war of attrition to make it possible. So I think that's a that's great advice for everybody. So hopefully that helps you if you're out there listening and you're dealing with your own adversities, whatever it might be, and you're having a hard time doing so. That's that's great advice. That's sound advice. I couldn't give it better. I mean, that's really true for me too. It's like you have to will it into reality, and and if you don't take a risk on yourself, you cannot expect anybody else to. So you must take that initiative to make and manifest your own reality because. What better time in the history of humanity to do that than now? Because we literally have the power to do anything we want to if we if we allow it. So, which is amazing. So, awesome. Thank sure. you so much, man. I really appreciate the time that we've Thank had together. You. I appreciate it. Yeah.
it was really uh, it was really nice talking and uh, 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 interesting to touch a lot of topics from politics to filmmaking to directors the future of film and, and sort of all that i think it's a it was a really nice conversation thank you also thank you so much i'm wishing you the best of luck with your future projects and perhaps Can I, uh, plug a little something yeah here? please go on go for it <laughs> so uh actually today i don't know when this is coming out but let's say uh, today is uh is tuesday 9th and we're releasing the uh first uh teaser trailer for iron sky the coming race the sequel of iron sky which is available on youtube so you can just head over to our uh, youtube channel and check it out from there uh it's, it's pretty cool one minute teaser which tells you a little bit more about the, the film that we're working which is coming to theaters in february in 2018 and uh uh yeah that's the next thing that i'm working and also working on a uh, another film called uh, Iron Sky the Ark, which is uh, uh, bringing Iron Sky World to the China, and uh, that's another thing which I'm I'm building up right now. So both of these things are coming out next year, 2018. So stay tuned. Awesome, and you guys know you can check out all these things in the show notes. We always attach all this stuff too. So okay. if you're having a hard time finding it, we'll have a link to it in the show notes as usual. So. Yeah, there you go, man. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And uh, again, I wish you the best of luck with everything moving forward. And and thank you again so much. Thank you very much. It was really nice talking to you. Bye-bye. And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank you to Timo for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 154, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Go out there, be powerful, be prolific. Peace out, everyone.